This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property related, and I'm Sim Weeboon. It's the last Friday of the month, and as usual, today is the Property Legal Clinic, a segment of the show where we take in listener questions and have our guests weigh in on them. Our guest today is Ainal Marlinda, part of the conveyancing team with the law firm Zul Rafik and Partners. Good morning and welcome to the show, Ainal. Okay, so we start with our first question, which comes from Kim Kun Boon. I live in a gated and guarded freehold property guided by a deed of mutual covenant or a DOMC. Over the years, there are a few hardcore defaulters. The question is, do we have legal standing to win a case if we take the defaulters to court? What are your thoughts, Ainal? The question from Kim is more on a gated and guarded freehold property. Assumingly, this is a gated and guarded, gated and guarded community which is established under the strata titles. Yeah, um, there are two different treatment here. If it's a gated and guarded under the strata titles, you are bound by the deed of mutual covenants. Yeah, and now as you know, it's already the DMC has been uh, replaced with uh, the Strata Management Act. We have the third schedule. How, so in the, in that scenario, there are certain provisions under the. Uh, under the SMA, which is clearly states that if there are defaulters, the defaulters are penalized under the uh, Act itself, under the SMA itself. Those are very clear. But unless it's a treatment of landed, uh, landed community, when it's a landed garden, then it's a different story altogether because it's not governed by the Strata Management Act. Okay, so if you are talking about going back to Kim uh, Kun Boon's question, if it's gated and guarded, uh, stratified, which is governed by the SMA, governed by the uh, Strata Management Act, then it's you are covered. There are pro, uh, there are clear provisions uh, under the Strata Management Act which allows all these defaulters are going to be uh, they, they, there are there are means under the SMA, clear means on how to go about it. But if it's under the uh, lender, as again I was saying, it's not the lender um, the treatment of property with title is different with regards to gated and guarded. As you know, there are no federal laws currently that provides for collection of uh, collection of outstanding from the from the developers under the landed scenario. So normally, the developer would have a separate agreement, and these agreements are normally um, it's basically a contractual. But whether you can take it up, whether you can sue, as the question is whether you can take the defaulters to court. It's more of uh, who is actually having the locus to actually take these parties to court, the, the defaulters, I mean. If it's the developer, because they are the ones signing with the uh, the respective defaulters or the purchasers, then I, I, I believe you have, a, you, you have a stand. You can actually take them to court. But if it's a neighbouring neighbour, neighbour who are, you know, you, you are so-called, you know, when you see your defaulters are forever not paying, but they are actually utilizing these services, then technically if it's a landed, uh, landed scenario, you do not have much recourse. But if it's under the stratified development, yes, you have clear recourse under the Strata Management Act. Not an issue there. 
Okay, you know, but taking people to court is somewhat usually seen as like the last case, extreme measure, maybe you try to mediate. Or, you know, I think in some cases, you try to exempt the person from the service in terms of like the, the security guards. Uh, do you think these ways might work? Do they have any legal standing or is going to court the only way to get hardcore defaulters to pay up? Um, okay, you are talking about the defaulters in, in this scenario, as I was saying just now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back under the strata management uh, or under the third schedule itself, there are many steps that can be taken by the developer. They do not have to immediately resort to the court. You can, under the under the court rulings, you can actually, uh, there, there are other, those are last resort. But however, the first few resorts that ought to be taken by a developer would be, there, there are a few of them. Yeah? Among them would be, they would actually, um, uh, actually put up a defaulters list in a notice board that is really uh, can be seen by everyone. So that's one of the, the first few uh, line of uh, actions being taken. You come up with a defaulters list, you state from when the purchases have not been paid and the outstanding amount of the contribution of sinking fund and, all, and the charges, and it's being placed in a, on the notice board uh, by the management corporation. That's one of them. The other, they can actually um, uh, come up with all these charges. They, they can actually place on a, the, 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 the issue of the suspending of the, default, the defaulters list. There are also, if you're talking about the scenario under landed, then it's an issue because why then there'll be this, this potential suit of defamation and all. But if it's under a property when it comes to a stratified, there's no issue. It's clear cut, it's allowed under the SMA. There are quite a few things that can be done. Among them would be uh, defaulters list. These actions are only taken when there are clear cut defaulters and largely it has to be done within a specific timeline. You can't be doing this forever and ever. So basically, among the things would be uh, defaulters list, they can deactivate the um, uh, access card, yeah, the electromagnetic access card. Um, MC can actually uh, disallow the, the defaulters from entering the common facilities, the common services. Apart from that, the MC can also enter into, they can propose an installment arrangement with the default. So basically, it's not all lost. They, they need to talk, they need to have a communication thing with the buyers, you know, with the purchasers. If they can come up with a, uh, a, a what do you call this, um, installment payment scheme, it's, it's provided for under the SMA. Okay, we move on to our next question, which comes from yes. Cheng. Um, so Cheng said, hello, Property Show. Uh, hello. Uh, it is my first time buying an apartment unit from a secondary market. The closing date is approaching and I would look, like to know for certain what original documents should I expect to receive from the seller's lawyer if there was no bank loan involved? Do I need the original certificate of fitness or anything equivalent to apply for TNB and water meters since they never were connected? I mean, what other documents should I look out for? I believe this question is in relation to approaching as in closing date approaching. Um, Sim, I believe this is a completion date yeah, rather than mm-hmm. approaching of signing of the SPA. Mm-hmm. If it's a completion, a closing date referring to the completion date is expiring soon, then as the buyers, you need to be aware of certain documents that you are anticipating from the vendor's lawyers or the vendor themselves. Okay, so original documents, if it's main question to ask is whether the property from Cheng, yeah, uh, whether the property is issued with title or without title. If it's already issued with title, you would need the original, obviously you need the original title 
either strata title or issue document of title. Uh, in this case, it's an apartment unit. I believe it could be a strata title. Okay, apart from that, you need the original access card in order for you to have access to your property. Um, original CF, I don't think it's highly likely for you to be able to get it because it's normally released to the developer. So what you can only have is a copy or a certified true copy of the CF or a CCC, Certificate of Completion and Compliance. Yeah. Um, apart from that is the original booklet on the property itself, on the parcel. This is normally released to the first original buyer. You would have the details on the parcel itself. Uh, what, you know, the details as to the access keys, the facilities, it's a, a stick booklet that normally the first owner would have. And it should be passed down to the subsequent buyers, yeah? Apart from that would be the origin, a CTC of the quit rent, uh, quit rent receipt and assessment receipt and your maintenance charges. These are the things that you would need to be released upfront when you are expecting a completion. But unless it's a different scenario whereby the property, in, in this case, the property is not issued with title, there are additional documents, yeah? So for example, there's no strata title, so that you would need the original principal sale and purchase agreement that was being signed by the first purchaser with the, with the developer. So you would need the first original SPA, the first DMC, then if it's there are subsequent buyers in, in the whole process, you would need all their original SPA and DMC as well. Most likely DMC is not present, but you need a deed of assignment to show the link of uh, the link there. Yeah, so you need all these original documents because you don't have a strata title. If you have a strata title, you don't need all these original documents. Yeah. Um, Second part of the question, whether you need the original CF to apply for TNB. You don't need the original CF, as I said, if it's property, uh, an apartment, uh, you would not be able to get the original CF. The original CF would normally be with the developer. Nonetheless, for you to apply for TNB and water meters, you do not need the copy of CF. Uh, what you need would be, there are certain lists of documents, yeah, you should check with TNB and uh, in the water as well. But generally, they would need a copy of your sale and purchase agreement to show ownership. Yeah, apart from that will be your IC, your copy of IC and a few other details, especially on payment of how many payments are to be done. There are an application form, you need to state the family members, uh, in the event that the, the utilities are not able to contact you, they would need a family members or any other family members who are not residing in the same premise, you need their details as well, their name and their NRIC and contact number. So that's basically it, yeah. Our next question comes from Tracy. Now, this is an interesting one. She's asking, must all these stratified buildings have this common facility called Bilet Mayat? If yes, is it applicable nationwide or varies according to state and city councils? She also adds that this Bilet Mayat was not disclosed during the sales of their property. You know, basically it has two rooms, a Bilet Mayat and a Bilet Janaza, both with water and electricity supply. She says, on top of my head, Act 757 does not allow for funeral arrangements in stratified development. Now, this is a, usually this is quite common, I think, in Singapore. So I know I'm um, quite keen to get your thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> okay, Sim, I've actually gone through the X757. Uh, to be honest, the, the currently I've not seen, it's quite peculiar. That there's no provision or there's no provision with regards to common property for a bilik mayat or as just now bilik janazah. 
Okay, okay. I, I believe the buyer is referring to either a mortuary or a morgue or a, a temporary, it's like a, as you say, a void deck. Yeah, in Singapore, usually it's a void deck that they yes, have yes. and then the funeral or whatnot takes take space. But because it's quite a common place and because Singapore is limited in space, it's, it's not an uncommon site there. But in Malaysia, uh, in, in my experience, this is somewhat the first time I've come across this. Yes. Similarly here, we do not have a particular um, a particular name for it, but normally, the, as you know, common property it always refers to um, an area in the development which does not belong to an individual strata unit owner. Okay, so this common property is usually shared between all the property owners. So areas such as gymnasium is very common, swimming pool, yeah, even the elevators, the, the walkways, those are common property. If you extend this to um, this question, I would say it's a, it's quite uh, it's not ordinary because why with regards to bereavement, we we do as you can see under our SMA, there's no provision for even um, you know funerals. We do not allow. There's no there's no nowhere that says you can have all this within your parcel. One, you can, whether you can have it in the community hall. I believe you can, but you need to check with the developer whether the developer allows this because it's either the developer or the MC. Yeah, because they are actually the one managing the common property. So basically the MC, which is created under the Strata Titles Act, they are not only managing the subdivided buildings, they manage the common properties in the strata development. And basically if the MC or the developer allows so, then I believe so. But under the SPA itself, if you wish to know, under the SPA, under your common facilities and services, it will be best if Tracy can check back her SPA or if she has got the earlier, the original SPA, whether it was listed in the second schedule of the SPA as common facilities and services, whether there was any stipulation of a belayed mayat or belayed jenazah. It's, it's not common. If it's not stipulated, can the residents do something about it? Do something whether they can actually take actions against the developer. I believe they have to go back to the law itself. Yeah, as I said, the MC is the one managing the subdivided buildings. They are the one maintaining and managing. You need to see whether there are certain provisions allowing them to do so. So it will be best either you go back to your GMB or your MC, check the provisions, ask them on what basis have you... You know, on what basis are you operating this this billet mayat? Because in light of the coronavirus, I don't think this is something should be, that should be taken lightly. Because yeah. if you have it, then there are certain SOPs that needs to be uh, adhered to. They can't just operate and that you don't know what is it all about. You know, all this sanitization, all these processes being taken into place, are, is it being attended to? And whether the, the relevant ministry, if, if it's something that is not provided under the HDA, the Housing Development Act, then I do not believe the ministry is aware. Perhaps you need to highlight this to the authorities as well, especially the uh, local authority, whether this is allowed. Because for example, having a wake in, um, even in, in, in Malaysia, having a wake for more than seven days, yeah, for you, you would need to have certain certain uh, approvals for that. You can't have a wake for, for more than a certain number of days. So I, I will, it would be best to go back to the authorities and check as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a short break for some messages. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned into The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Sim Boon and I have Ainal Marlinda, a convincing partner with the law firm Zul Rafik and Partners, here with me today for the monthly Property Legal Clinic. It takes place every last Friday of the month. 
Okay, uh, our next question comes from Rani. Um, she's asking, or he's asking, what's your advice for when considering buying an auction property, for example, an apartment? What are the legal considerations that I have to look out for and perhaps prepare for? Going back to this question, Rani's question on auction, buying an auction property and legal considerations. The list is actually quite extensive. To be honest, same yeah. Uh, I would start with number one would be a property auction 101. Okay, you will need to learn the basics. You can't going into an auction property, yeah, start buying an auction property without knowing the legal basics. So basically, what is an auction property? You need to be aware, firstly, this auction property involves a real estate or properties that is being foreclosed. It's not the normal type of property whereby there's no encumbrance properties that are under auction are always encumbered. There are some encumbrances somewhere. So you need to be aware of that. So property auction involves, as you as you know, auction involves, uh, there is a bidder and there's also an auctioneer. Yeah. So the bidder would be yourself as the buyer and the foreclosed properties are normally sold because of the owner has actually failed to settle their mortgages or the loan repayments or even outstanding of quit rent. Yeah, so these auctions, property auctions are usually uh, managed by auction houses. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those very popular ways of uh, property investment in Malaysia to acquire property at a lower price. Okay, apart from that, you would need to be aware of there are two types of property auction. Okay, there are the ones with property with title and the property without title. Again, property with title, yeah, the non-laka, I would say a non-laka auction, a non-laka properties. These are properties with individual title or strata title. And this type of property or this type of auctions would be conducted at the High Court of Malaysia. Unlike the loan laka auction or the loan agreement come assignment auction or the laka properties, these are properties without strata title, without individual title. So the, these kind of auctions will be conducted by the banks or the financial institutions. So this scenario where it is the laka auction, the bidder is required to pay only 5% of the purchase price as deposit to the auctioneer. And the balance you are usually required to pay within 90 days. Unlike a non-laka auction, a non-laka properties, the deposit is not the normal first 10% of the purchase price. And the balance is usually required to be paid within 120 days. So you have a longer period to pay for the non-laka auction. Yeah, so first thing first, as I said, property auction, number one, you need to know your basics, one. Two, you need to identify the suitable and the right property. So for legal consideration, I would say you need to do the searches if you can. Yeah, if you can, you would need to identify the property. You need to check your budget. You need to check whether can, whether your the reserve price is uh is within your budget. Yeah, and uh you need to do your you you need to basically identify where is the location. You need to familiarize yourself rather than uh, not knowing how much you you think you know the market value, but in actual fact the market value is not as what it seems. So um, it's best to 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 be to be familiarized of the location. Thirdly, you need to do your own inspection, either external or internal. I would say an internal inspection is high, highly, uh, if possible, but most of the time you can't do an internal inspection. External inspection is something that you can do. So what do you mean by external inspection? This is where you visit the locality of the target property. 
for you to inspect the surrounding area or the condition of the house. You, you can review it from outside. Yeah. So it's crucial for you to take note of this location, do a comparative study. Uh, you need to see whether the whether the the inter if you can actually have sight of the internal portion, that would be good. But if you can't, then there's nothing much you can do. But you can actually uh, inquire from the neighbors whether have is the property tenanted, whether the property is vacant, things like that. Yeah. Fourthly, you would need to do a background property research. This is usually done at the land office. You can do either a, um, a pri private search or an official search. Yeah, but under the MCO, there's it can be can be there can be slight delay there. But nonetheless, it, it's best to do a property research uh, search in order for you to know the situation of the land, the feed, the tenure of the the land. You need to know who the you know who are the owners. At least you can check these details. And most importantly, is for you to determine whether there's any caveat lodged against the title. If there are caveats lodged, then there's, there's like problems there because your banks may have issues. The financiers may not want to finance if the property is subject to private caveats. So things like this, you would need to be aware of. Apart from that, you need to be prepared. Item five, you need to be always prepared, as in you need to get hold of a copy of the proclamation of sale or and also the conditions of sale from the auctioneer or the lawyers involved. And you need to understand the details. Yeah, so you are advisable to check also on your loan eligibility and seek legal assistance there prior to the auction itself. Six is the bidding itself. Yeah, the bidding itself, um, the, the process of the bidding itself prior to the, we, there are two. One is a normal auction. Secondly, is there's also what we call the online auction. So both scenarios, you would need to, firstly, you need to register yourself with the auctioneer. You need to determine a limit. Uh, once the bid is done, then there are requirements to pay the bank draft. You need to be ready with your bank draft and all. So these are the things that you need to largely be aware of. But in, in essence, I would say legal considerations are generally, I would divide it into main five. Firstly, you need to check whether your property is it issued with title. That's the main thing for you to inquire with your auctioneer. Yeah, um, Whether it's issued with title, whether the property is vacant, whether the property, there's any encumbrances, and whether like, the final and most important, whether there are any outstanding maintenance charges quit rents assessment because this when you you are buying auction property you are buying it accessories basis you are not and there's no opportunity for you to go back on the whole arrangement what you see is what you get so the maximum of caveat emptor really is in place so you need to be aware if if once the table is you know once it's once the auctioneer says it's sold to you you are subjected to the purchase as a whole so largely that's more on the legal considerations there are quite a a checklist of things that you need to do before actually resort to auction property. Okay, that's all the time we have for this week's Property Legal Clinic. Join us again next month as we try to answer all your property legal questions. I've been talking to Ainal Marlinda, the conveyancing partner with the law firm Zulrafik and Partners. Send us your questions to property at bfm.my or WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. We've got the 10am news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast.
To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.